July the 20th, 2021. Welcome. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the best old time radio podcast for Tuesday. And every Tuesday we play a drama. And we've got a, uh, a drama today that was first broadcast on, uh, not suspense, but on Escape. The program Escape. The show we're going to present you today was originally broadcast on July 21st, 1947 on CBS. It's uh, an adaptation by Les Crutchfield of a short story written by none other than F. Scott Fitzgerald. And it's entitled, The Diamond as Big as the Ritz. And uh, it's kind of a crazy story, and I'm not even going to make a comment on it. I just listened to it again for the first time in many years, and I'm just going to let you listen to it. Maybe we'll just talk about it a little bit on the other side. But what you need to do is get in that big easy chair over there, get your feet up, relax, unwind, get yourself a little refreshment, and just get rid of the worries of the day and just get involved in this story. All right? So what we're going to do now is take you back to uh, July 21st, 1947 and escape. And the name of this story is The Diamond as Big as the Ritz. tonight to a fabulous world where there is a diamond as big as the Ritz. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations presents Escape, a new series of programs of which this, the third, is The Diamond as Big as the Ritz by F. Scott Fitzgerald, produced and directed by William N. Robeson. In a country as large as ours, there are many odd and wonderful corners hidden away. But none more fabulous and wonderful than the one conceived in the imagination of F. Scott Fitzgerald and located in the pages of his famous short story, The Diamond as Big as the Ritz. It is described in the words of John Unger, 
20 years old, impressionable, and quite willing to swear to the truth of this whole strange affair. I'd been going to the St. Midas Prep School for a couple of years, and this was my second summer vacation. I'd met this fellow, Percy Washington, during the winter and got to be pretty good friends with him. Only, I didn't know about his family or where he came from or anything like that. Of course, I knew he must be rich, because all the fellows at St. Midas come from wealthy families. So, when he invited me to spend the summer at his home out west someplace, that was okay by me. Well, we'd been on the train overnight when he first mentioned it. I don't even remember now what led up to it. We'd been talking about first one thing and then another... Exactly where is your home, Percy? I mean, you bought the train tickets and all. It's in Montana, sort of. Montana? Oh, yes. It's a pretty wild country, isn't it? Mm, Some of it is. Now, you take Hades, Missouri, where I come from. It's been settled for 150 years. One of the first towns on the Mississippi River. Indeed. Oh, sure. That's very interesting. Well, I sure do appreciate you not making jokes about it. You know, the way some of the fellas do when I say... I come from Hades. Why, my father's plantation stretches from... do you know that my father is the richest man in the world? Oh? By far the richest. Well, I read about a man that paid taxes on a $5 million income. Small fry. If my father paid tax on his real income, he'd disrupt the whole economy of the United States. No kidding. I like rich people. And the richer a fellow is, the better I like him. My father could buy out all the millionaires in the country and not even know he had done it. Is that a fact? Well, I visited the Slitzer Murphys once. They're plenty rich. Why, their daughter Vivian's got rubies as big as hen's eggs. And sapphires that glow like headlamps. I like jewels. Always have. I used to collect them instead of stamps. And diamonds. Why, the Slitzer Murphys had diamonds as big as walnuts. Oh, that's nothing. Huh? Nothing at all. My father has a diamond as big as the Ritz. Uh Please, I'm not joking. But you mean as big as the Ritz-Carlton Hotel? Exactly. My father has a diamond as big as the Ritz. Well, from there on, it was something like a dream. We got off the train about dusk at a little whistle stop called Fish, Montana. (laughs) There wasn't anything there, not even a station. Just a broken-down old buggy and four or five sheep herders lounging beside the track and, I suppose, wondering who we were. Anyway, Percy and I climbed into the buggy, and without saying a word, the driver cracked his whip, and off we went. I don't know how far we traveled. We didn't seem to be following any road. After an hour or so, it got dark, but the driver kept right on. Never saying a word. I hope you'll pardon this inconvenience, John. But we have to take certain precautions, you know. Oh, that's all right. Anyway, we're almost there. Your home, you mean? Oh, no, to the place where we consider it safe to transfer. Transfer? What do you mean? There's the signal now. Headlights. Well, up the horse, Absom. Here we are. An automobile. But how... Well, there's no road. Oh, this car's specially built. Doesn't need roads. Welcome home, master. Good evening, Gigsum. Well, come on, John. Let's get in. What the, that door opened by itself. Sonically controlled, you know. Gosh. Hey, what's this car made out of? Silver? No, platinum. 
And those are emeralds in the hubcaps. And the upholstery ring. It's fur. Mink. You're ready, master. Anytime, Gigsum. You've probably noticed the exceptional brightness of the headlights. The lenses are cut from diamonds. Boy, what a car. And this old junk heap. We use it for a station wagon. What are we stopping for? This is just a deserted canyon. Oh, we're not there yet, John. It's a little further. Wait, you'll see. Hello, Clark! No way! Percy, what's that? That noise? They're sending the hooks down. Hooks? Yes, to attach to the wheels. You know, that's what Gixom is doing now. But, oh, I yes, understand. I forgot to mention. Gixom will look after you during the visit. Look after me? Your personal valet. Of course, there'll be other slaves available, too, whenever you need them. Do you have a lot of slaves? Oh, three or four hundred, I suppose. Oh, already, Gigsum? Yes, master. Hello! Hey, Stoy! Look, look, we're leaving the ground. Yes, there's a hoist up there on top of the cliff. Has cables about a quarter of a mile long. But what for? Oh, it's the only way in. <laughs> Imagine hoisting an automobile a quarter of a mile up the side of a cliff. It's nothing, really. As you may have guessed, John, this is not going to be like anything you ever saw before in your life. <laughs> John, there it is. That's your home? Oh, it's magnificent. Palatial. It's not a bad little place. How big is it? I suppose you mean the number of rooms. I think it's around 140. But Father may remember exactly. Then, of course, there are other buildings. Slaves' quarters and things. Why hasn't anybody ever found out about it? This place, I mean. Well, for one thing, it's the only five square miles in the United States that have never been surveyed. Huh? Why not? Oh, things were arranged. I don't see how that's possible. Believe me, it hasn't been easy. I understand Grandfather had to bribe three government bureaus, a vice president, and half of Congress once to keep this place off of the maps. Oh, but surely somebody stumbled onto it. Uh, Prospectors, people like that? Oh, yes, that happens occasionally. Then, of course, we have to arrange things. You mean... Not always. Usually, we just take them prisoner and keep them. Same as the aviators. Oh, planes come here? Well, once in a while, they fly over. Of course, they never get away. We have nine anti-aircraft batteries around the hill here. You... You shoot them down? Oh, yes, great sport. It does upset Mother a bit, though. And there's always a chance that one might get away. That's father's greatest worry. This place, this whole thing, it's it's fantastic. Oh, come now, John. I picked you for a fellow with his feet on the ground. And you haven't seen anything yet, you know. This is only the beginning. And it was only the beginning. We crossed the acres of lawn and entered the great chateau. 
And from that moment on, vision upon vision tumbled together in a gigantic kaleidoscope of color, symmetry, and exquisite harmony. But there were corridors lined with gleaming crystals lit by lamps cut from emerald. And there were great halls carpeted with chinchilla fur and ermine, and some with floors of clear transparency, flaming in the shifting glow of a myriad-colored fire beneath them. And there was a white-haired man, pink-faced and pleasant, who was Percy's father, and a lovely lady with dark hair piled high on her head, like a fragile queen, who was Percy's mother. Soft music came from hidden places. Perfumes filled the air. Exotic foods and wines more rare than pearls. And finally, sitting in my chair in the great banquet hall, I quietly fell asleep. I thought there could be no more nor greater wonders. I was wrong. There were many more and greater ones. And one of them I discovered the next morning in the garden. Hello there. Uh, oh. oh, you're lovely. My name is Kismine. You're John Unger and you're a friend of my brother. Are you from the East? Uh, no. Well, at least not exactly. I'm from Hades. Oh. Missouri. Would you like to sit down here on the grass? Well, yeah, sure I would. I'm going east to school this fall. Do you suppose I'll like it? I think so. Of course, it'll be different from all this. Well, that's what Jasmine says. And she's in the east now. I've never been outside. Who's Jasmine? My sister. She's older than I am. I hope you won't be offended, but... Well, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. Yes, I know. What? I surprised you, didn't I? A year ago, I would have said thank you. But Father says it's very necessary to learn to take things for granted. So now I just take it for granted that I'm beautiful, you see? You're pretty sophisticated, aren't you? Oh, I'm not at all. I think sophisticated young people are terribly common. I'm not a bit like that. Oh, I didn't really mean it. I only said it to tease you. Well, I'm glad. I wouldn't want you to think anything like that. Why, I don't smoke or drink even. And I never read a thing except poetry. I was only kidding. Well, I believe girls should enjoy their youth in a wholesome sort of way. Oh, so do I. I like you, John. I wish you'd spend some of your time with me this summer. Not all with Percy. Oh, I will kiss mine. I will. You may be in love with me if you'd like to. I'm absolutely fresh ground, you know. I am in love with you. But of course we'll have to meet secretly. My parents wouldn't permit it if they knew. Well, then that's what we'll do. Well, I have to go now. I'm supposed to be with Mother at 11. Uh, aren't you going to ask me for a kiss? Jasmine says boys always do nowadays. Well, some of them do, but not me. We don't expect nice girls to do that sort of thing in Hades. It was a funny thing. Percy's family were polite, friendly, always smiling... And yet all the time I had a feeling that some terrible and golden mystery lay hidden just around the corner. A few days after I'd met Kismine, Percy remarked casually that an unusual event had occurred. A man had escaped from the cage. I didn't know what he meant then. 
But the next morning, I was walking with Percy's father on the grounds of the estate. The slaves' quarters are there, Mr. Unger. Oh. Yes, they're very nice. They're adequate. During one period of my youth, I became absurdly idealistic and allowed them to live in luxury. I even equipped their rooms with tile baths. <laughs> I suppose they used the bathtubs to keep coal in. Mr. Schlitzer Murphy told I me once... I should imagine the opinions of Mr. Schlitzer Murphy are of little importance. They did not use the tubs for coal. They bathed in them. Unfortunately, several caught cold and died. So, of course, I had the baths removed. Shall we move on? Mr. Washington, Percy said something about a man escaping from the cage. I didn't quite get it. The cage, eh? Well, perhaps you'd like to see it. It might prove interesting just as a novelty. It's over here. These trees. They're 60 feet tall and... And they have roses blooming all over them. Rather interesting development by a Swiss botanist. They're the only ones in the world. I'll be darned. Though I suppose you'll see them all over the country in a few years, huh? No. No, these are the only ones. That was arranged. Here we are. The cage. It's a pit dug in the ground. And a grating on top. Oh, yes, it's not really a cage, except in... uh, a certain sense. Well, boys, how are you getting along? Yeah, come on down here and see. Throw him in, buddy, go ahead. How many men are down there? About 50, as I recall. Who are they? Oh, aviators we've shot down, wandering prospectors, men of that sort. Yes, but why are they kept there? They've all had the common misfortune of having discovered El Dorado. Gentlemen... I'm sure you'd like to know that your companion who departed without my permission has been taken care of. We know what you mean, He was shot. He was shot by some of my agents in 14 different places. Golf, Mr. Unger? They found him then? The man who got away? Those places were towns. My agents were over eager. None of them could offer a positive identification. I'm afraid the man may still be at large. So you see, it's not all utopia here. We do have our difficulties. Uh, Isn't it a little unnecessary, holding them like that? Well, not at all. It's the only way to keep this place hidden. Yes, I guess that must be important. Uh, Percy was telling me something on the train. I thought he was just kidding, but... He said you had a diamond as big as the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. As a matter of fact, it's much bigger than the Ritz. Much bigger. Well, summer went on, and I was more and more in love with Kismine. Oh, she was priceless. Exquisite. Like no other girl in the world. After a couple of weeks, I kissed her, of course... And I was really in love for the first time. Oh, I should have known. I should have put two and two together when Percy's father showed me the cage. But I didn't until one morning late in the summer, I'd slipped off with Kismine to the Rose Garden. Kismine, I think we ought to elope. Oh, I don't know. It would be much nicer to be married here. But then it would be more romantic to elope. (laughs) Yeah, all the Sunday supplements would write stories about... Fabulous heiress elopes with... You are fabulous, you know. I knew an heiress from Omaha once. I don't think you'd like her. 
She visited my sister here. Oh, you've had other guests then, huh? Well, yes, we've had a few. Wasn't your father ever afraid they might talk outside? Mm, to some extent. Oh, let's talk about something pleasanter. What's so unpleasant about it? Well, I grew quite fond of some of them. You mean they told and your father... Oh, they didn't get a chance to. Father had to be sure. Oh, but well, that's murder. What else could we do? In the cage, well, they'd have been a constant reproach to us. And Father does it so nicely. They're always drugged in their sleep, and then we tell their families they died of scarlet fever in Butte. I'm not sure how that affects the statistics there. Of all the horrible... Oh, it is not. After all, it would be terribly boring here without ever having anybody. Why, Father and Mother have sacrificed some of their best friends. Well, you're no better than the... Well, then, that's what they plan to do with me. Oh, couldn't you forget it? And be nice to me until you're put away. It's only for two or three weeks. You'd go on this way, kissing, talking about love, when you know I'm not much better than a corpse? You're not a corpse. You're not. I won't have you saying I kissed a corpse. Oh, that wasn't what I said. You did, too? I did not. You said that... Just a moment. What? Who kissed a corpse? Well, nobody. We were joking. You two haven't any business here anyway. Kismine, uh, go read. Go play golf. Don't let me find you here when I come back. Yes, Father. Good day, children. You see? Now he knows. You've spoiled everything. You don't really love me. Kismine, you... Look, tell me. What's the reason for all this secrecy? What if you are rich and have this place? Why would it be so terrible if anybody found out about it? Why, it's on account of the diamond, of course. Diamond? What is this diamond all of you talk about? Well, it's the... Oh, you'd better ask Percy. I'm always getting things mixed up. Well, I will ask him. And another thing, I'm getting out of here tonight if I have to dig through the mountains. I'm going back east. Take me with you. No. Why not? His mind, dear, your father wouldn't permit it. If you won't take me... I'll go tell him I want to marry you. No, you can't do that. He bumped me off this afternoon. Oh, please take me, darling. We'll be terribly poor and very happy. And I'll cook things for you. Oh, herbs and berries and things. Won't that be fun? You will, won't you, John? Well, my head was really in a whirl. This whole thing was fantastic. And so was the family, even Kismine. I couldn't think of anything to do, but... Well, I rushed to see Percy. But, John, why didn't you ask me before? Because I thought you were kidding all the time. <laughs> I know you wouldn't have believed me if I told you. Yeah, well, I'm ready to believe anything now. Well, it was Grandfather who started the whole thing. Purely by accident. He came out here from Virginia after the war between the states and stumbled onto it. Onto what? The diamond. That's what made this all possible, of course. Grandfather spent two years going around to different cities of the world selling bits of it. Then he started building this place. He put his money in jewels. But Father found that radium took much less space. Yeah, but why the secrecy? Oh, it just wouldn't do if anyone found out. Ruin the economy of the world. The thing's too big. This has been going on for three generations, then. The cage and, and this thing of inviting friends? Oh, yes. You see, there wasn't really any danger before airplanes. They are what worry us. You knew when you invited me here what would happen. Please, John. I thought you'd be more sensible about it. After all, you can see my position. Oh, yeah. Well, where is it? Where do you keep this diamond that's caused so cockeyed much trouble? 
Oh, I thought you'd guessed. You've noticed the hill the chateau stands on. Yeah. It contains a cubic mile. And, except for a thin covering of dirt, it's one big, solid diamond. It was nearly midnight. I don't know what woke me, but... All of a sudden, I was staring across the patches of moonlight spotting the ermine carpet of my bedroom. Staring at three slaves I'd never seen before. They just slipped inside the door and stood there, each with a vicious length of shiny copper wire. The official executioners. I lay there on the bed watching them, counting heartbeats, not daring to move, not daring not to move. They didn't know I'd wakened. And they began edging across the room. Come on! All three of you! There's no time now for this! All hell's broken loose! Hurry! I took one long, deep breath. The first one in several moments. And then I was out of the bed in an instant, throwing on my clothes and dashing through the long crystal corridor to Kismine's room. Kismine, are you awake? So they woke you up, too. If you mean three of your father's slaves. Oh, no, airplanes. Airplane? So that's what it is. At least a dozen. I saw them crossing against the moon. Oh, look, they're circling way over there. You think they're here on purpose? Oh, yes. They dropped warnings to father. It's that man who got away from the cage, you know. Oh, good for him. Yes, wasn't he clever? Well, I think we'll open up on them any second now. Open up? Yes, our anti-aircraft. Oh, this is going to be thrilling. Thrilling? Oh, look, they're in range now. Bravo! Bravo! Just mine, get away from that window! Did you see that? Yes, and we've got to get out of here. Can't you understand? They'll bomb the chateau next. I know. There's a little grove across on the side of the mountains. We always keep one of the cars there. Oh, we have a nice view of everything. A nice view? Kismine, you don't seem to understand. They mean business. They're out to finish off you and your whole family. Oh, but it all seems so silly. Or when you come right down to it, they've never even met us. What time is it, John? Is it morning yet? I don't know. I've lost my watch. Seems to be getting lighter, all right. It's quieter, too. Well, they've knocked out your father's guns. Every last one of them. Won't be long now. Oh, it seems such a shame. The family put so much work on the place. Everything's always been so pleasant. Yeah. Well, you better get some sleep, Kismine. I'm going to walk down the path a little ways. Oh, you'll come back? Yes, Kismine. I'll come back. At the edge of the wood, I stopped and looked out across the valley toward the wrecked chateau standing on its diamond hill in the center. The bombing had stopped. The planes droned over the far rim of the plateau, seeking some sort of formation. Then on a little knoll just below me, three men appeared suddenly from the underbrush. The first one strode imperiously ahead, and the other two bore a heavy burden between them. It was Mr. Washington and two of the slaves. I stepped behind a rock and stood motionless, watching them. All right. This is far enough. We'll stop here. Now, hoist it up. Hold it there. Both together. Easy now. There. The burden they held up to the heavens was an immense diamond, cut and polished, catching the first faint rays of the dawn and gleaming like a fragment of the morning star. Now... You out there. You there. 
I could see no one else anywhere in view. You above there. I want you to understand. This is only a sample. I'll give you a thousand. Cut as fine. Set in pedestals of platinum. And I'll build you a temple. A thousand feet high. Cast of solid gold. And on the top of it. I'll put one diamond. A hundred feet across, set there forever to catch the rays of your sun. A thought began to dawn on me. I couldn't believe it. I'll letter your name on the temple in emeralds. And I'll see that the whole world worships at its base. All you have to do is make everything the way it was before. Mr. Washington was offering a bribe to God. He stopped talking and the three of them stood there looking up at the heavens, waiting for an answer. And then at the far end of the valley, out of those same silent heavens, blossomed the white puffs of parachutes. The man who tried to bribe God looked up and saw them, became old in an instant and turning with lowered head, walked down the path toward the chateau. With sudden premonition, I whirled and headed for the spot where I'd left Kismine. Kismine and the car that needed no roads. Haven't we gone far enough, John? I suppose. We're ten miles from the chateau. Well, it's all so hectic. This rushing about and losing sleep and everything. Hand me those field glasses. Here they are. Well, can you see anything? No. Wait. Hmm. What is it? It's your father and mother. And Percy. Yes, and the two slaves still carrying that big diamond. Wait. They're going in a tunnel down below the chateau. So that's it. They've got an underground escape. No, I remember now. The mountain's wired. Some kind of atom bomb. Atom? Atomic bomb? Oh, that's it. Father's had it for years. He always said it would disintegrate the whole works, diamond and all. Of course, he only regarded it as a last resort. So he'd rather have it like that. Well, they're all inside the tunnel now. The troopers are moving in. I don't suppose there's really anything to be done about it now. And there wasn't. I keep thinking about things the way they were. It was all so pleasant. Oh, I don't suppose it will be ever exactly like that again. Not ever, Kismine. And maybe it never was. Youth's a time for dreaming. And dreams die, too. I'll probably have to take in washing. Oh, but of course, we'll be very happy. What will we do, John? Do? Oh, we can love a while underneath the stars. <laughs> That's a form of divine drunkenness we can all try. And then there may be other diamonds in the world. Who knows? And even though it's a shabby gift, there's always disillusion. Turn up your collar, Kismine, before you catch pneumonia. Let's go to sleep. The Diamond as Big as the Ritz by F. Scott Fitzgerald was adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield and produced and directed by William N. Robeson with Jack Edwards Jr. as John, Danny Merrill as Percy, and Linda Mason as Kismine. 
The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Escape is presented by the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations each week at this time. Next week, we invite you to escape to the China Seas with Joseph Conrad in his gripping story of a typhoon. And so, good night until next week at this time, when it will again be time to escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, that was from uh, July 21st, 1947. That was Escape. And the name of that one was The Diamond As Big as the Ritz. It was based on a short story by F. Scott Fitzgerald, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield. Escape did that story three times. This was the first time in 1947. Then they did it again in 1948 and in 1949. And uh, on both of those occasions, the cast changed. I believe the script was probably the same. The The newer version had, uh, oh, who was it? It was uh, Sam Edwards and John Daner, and I forget who played the gal right now. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald seemed to like, like to write about the very rich and seemed to be very impressed by that lifestyle. I uh, can't say that I found that story very, uh, very what? I guess it was entertaining. I don't know. What would you think of it? Uh, It's not high on my list of favorite episodes of Escape. But every once in a while, we we get a good one. Or a lot of times, we get a good one because there was a lot of good ones. And every once in a while, we come up with a stinker. And I think that one was kind of a stinker. But that's uh, that's just my opinion on it. Maybe it. Maybe it was your favorite. Maybe it was your favorite episode. Anyway, we'll have uh, more episodes of Escape and hopefully better episodes of Escape in the months ahead. the lid on Tuesday, uh, July the 20th, 2021. We'll come back tomorrow with an old-time radio mystery, and maybe we'll do a better job. Uh, What can I say? Hey, we're going to go out tonight with a couple of songs from 1947. The first one is uh, by uh, Ray Noble and his orchestra, and it's a song we I know we played before, but I don't think it was by Ray Noble. Remember how I said that when you look at the top 100 songs in years like 47, 48, 49, 50, a lot of times the same song is on there four or five times in the top 100, all by different artists. And uh, this is a case, in the, a, a good example. This one is entitled Linda, and it's just a delightful little song. And, and you'll know it, you're, you'll, you'll be familiar with it. But I don't think we did it by Ray Noble, but I don't I don't know who we did it by before, but there you go. It was done several times, and some people like, I wonder if people bought all five versions, or four versions, or whatever they were. 
The second one is uh, a song by Bing Crosby, and it's the Whiffenpuffs song. And did you know the Whiffenpuffs are the a cappella uh, group, uh, choral, from Yale University? And the group is completely new each year because it's only seniors that are allowed to sing in the Whiffenpuffs. Did you know that, Chester? Yeah, only seniors. And they, um, they try out during their junior year. And some people that make it actually take the year off from classes because I guess they get to tour around the country and maybe even the world. I don't know. But it's, it's interesting. This song was written by members of the Whiffenpuffs all the way back in like 19, early 1900s. And it was a takeoff, a parody. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. It's a beautiful song and you'll recognize it. But that that's who the Whiffenpuffs are, and this has become their theme song. By the way, Cole Porter was a member of the Whiffenpuffs, and to this day, I guess they still, in tribute to him, will do a number of Cole Porter tunes in their repertoire. But uh, the Whiffenpuffs. So if you ever get a chance to see the Whiffenpuffs, now you'll know who, who they are and, uh, and what they do. All right, that's it. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Bye-bye. your name? Fresh. I don't talk to strangers. Oh, I'm no stranger. Been waiting every evening for you to walk by. Keep waiting. I'm still walking. Oh, what's your name? None of your business. Pretty name. But I'll just call you Linda. Well, how did you guess? When I go to sleep, I never count sheep. I count all the charms about Linda. And lately it seems in all of my dreams, I walk with my arms about Linda. But what good does it do me? For Linda doesn't know I exist. Can't help feeling gloomy. Think of all the loving I have missed. We pass on the street. My heart skips a beat I say to myself Hello, Linda If only she'd smile I'd stop her a while And then I would get to know Linda But miracles still happen 
And when my lucky star begins to shine With one lucky break I'll make Linda Could I see you again sometime? Maybe. How about uh, Saturday night? Well... Shall I pick you up at eight? Okay. Oh, boy, that's a date. Bye now. So miracles do happen And now my lucky stars begin to shine With one lucky break I'll make Linda
Bye.